With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your HN Podcast, Miller and Day. Sorry we're coming to you one day late. Had a little, uh, let's just call it uh, farmer slash ranching accident. But one day later, we're fine. We're all day today, Steve. So um, I probably feel better even still than a lot of Iowa fans are still feeling following Iowa's 17-10 loss to Northwestern. I offered up some of my comments immediately following the game. Uh, I've got a few more now that I'd like to expand upon, but I'll let you go ahead and have your turn at the uh, hypothetical dais here. What were your thoughts on that game? I thought that was really non-compelling football. Um, Two teams just kind of out there standing in the middle of the field, clubbing each other with ugly sticks. I thought it was a bad stereotype that sec apologists have of big 10 football um and i thought that's the kind of game it probably had to be for northwestern to win as i feared northwestern got a bit of a second wind from the win at maryland i said last week i would have preferred they lose that game i think at two and four and you know you were a chic pick to be the uh, challenger to wisconsin in the west that might be when Pat Fitzgerald, probably since he had the team that was fighting each other over unionization, the only time in his coaching career that maybe guys just kind of shut it down on him. But I think that sort of resurrected them. They're very limited in what they can do, so they pretty much have to play that same game every week. But they had a spirited enough effort with a second wind after that win against Maryland to sort of get Iowa to play an even slower, more deliberate, nondescript brand of football than Iowa would like to play. And, you know, I I just thought it was a game worthy of 11 a.m. in sleepy Evanston. And it went the way I thought it would go. Um, not just in terms of the outcome. I thought Northwestern might win it, but I thought it was going to be that kind of a game. And... Um, That's the great prophet Bill Parcells once said, my friend, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, with regards to Northwestern and a second wind, I mean, I guess if you want to call 10 points in regulation a second win, sure. Once again, I think the biggest frustrations for Iowa fans is offensive, um, I don't even know what adjective to use, just question marks. I mean, you continue to run Akram Wadley inside between the tackles. Um, you had four or five drop passes in this game, a couple of them pretty 
key and pivotal that stop drives. Iowa found themselves oftentimes again in second and ten and mm-hmm. you know, third and seven. And this team, not just this year, not just last year, but pretty much for the entire 19 years of the Ferentz era, when they get off schedule and they're not, you know, on schedules, probably second and six and third and three or less. When they're worse than that, they are they have a horrible time converting a first down from that situation. Yeah. And, you know, when I did my instant reaction podcast, I think I think for a number of people, I didn't try to go and take enough pounds of flesh out of the hides of the coaching staff for some people's liking. But I mean, by and large, Iowa is looking like on the micro and macro, like the team we kind of thought they were going to be before this season even kicked off. And that irritates some people, but I can't get all PO'd when a team kind of behaves or looks the way that I thought they looked. Do I like the fact that the offense was anemic? Do I, I mean, that, that, I think that was probably the worst game thus far, not probably. That was Brian Ferentz's worst half, the second half, in my opinion, thus far this year. And no, I don't like how poorly the offense looks or plays. Um, but I, I just keep coming back to this notion. You know, and I saw Mark Morehouse, he didn't ask this question. He, he brought it up in a way that I'm going to ask it to you. I mean, Iowa began the year with two three-year starters, two three-year starters, fifth-year seniors at their tackle positions. They don't have those guys anymore. They start freshmen at tackle right now. One of them made his second start. Um, How many programs in the country can overcome that and just plug and play, dropping from fifth-year seniors who are three-year starters down to freshman starters at tackle? Not well, let me give you an, let me give you an example of a team that's in your predicament right now. Think Sam Darnold's any good? I think he's a damn good quarterback. What do you think about Ronald Jones, Deontay Burnett, some of the players he has around him? Think they're any good? Pretty good. Think they're better than what Iowa has? There's no question. I would I would take Wadley over Jones, but it's really close. The rest of those guys obviously are far better than anybody Iowa has. Well, Sam Darnold prior to the Notre Dame game already had more turnovers this season than he had all of last year in the nine games that he started. And then he promptly went out and had a turnover fest against Northwestern, including a turnover on, or I'm sorry, against Notre Dame, including a turnover on the opening drive that killed a scoring opportunity that gave Notre Dame the momentum to go right down the field and score. And the game was essentially on. It was, it was a boat race from that point on. Now, why is this happening? Well, there's a couple of reasons. A little bit of it is, you know, we forget last year that he was just a redshirt freshman. He's getting all these press clippings. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. He's the overwhelming Vegas Heisman front runner. So, yeah, he wouldn't be the first young man to have a sophomore slump when he feels like he's got to be an All-American on every play. That's some of it. But a lot of it is they went into that game on Saturday with three different offensive line starters than they started the season with. They just simply, not even USC, has the depth to deal with that in season. And they have this sort of scheme and skill position talent that puts a premium on getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands into the hands of playmakers in space. And they have playmakers in space Iowa does not have. And you are you are seeing now USC going from a preseason top five team to a team right now that if they lose to Arizona State on the road Saturday, they won't even win their own division in the Pac-12. And it's because of what we're talking about here with Iowa. So to answer your question, it's not 
everything. It's the only thing. It may, let me just tell you, as a fan of two schools, one historically and the other in the last decade, that have had a few issues with offensive line play. I can promise you this. It doesn't matter. The Rock says it doesn't matter, John, how good you are everywhere else. If you have issues up front, you're done. Period. End of sentence. That's all there is. There isn't any more. So it's not an excuse. It's the reason things are the, the way that they are. And, and it is what it is. There's nothing really that can be done about it. And we're not even talking about no Josie Jewell. I mean, you're already looking at a program that their their margin for error is not high. And you really have – there's really two guys on this team that every week the opposing team and their coordinators, there's one on each side of the ball, the opposing coordinators are like, that's the guy we have to account for. That's the guy we got to scheme around. But one of them's not there. So whatever the margin for error – forget even the – let's pretend the offensive line play is great. Already the margin for error is slim because of the, the lack of playmakers, which is, you know, except for the most exceptional Ferentz teams, has been the, um, has been the rule at Iowa in, when he's been there. And, and so you, you've only got two of them, and one of them's gone. That lowers your margin for error already. So, and, you know, I'll say this too. I, I think that it's really hard to be great when your quarterback isn't, the alpha leader of your team. And that's nothing against Nate Stanley. It's tough for anybody to be that in their first year, unless you are exceptional, uh, exceptionally gifted or talented like Darnold Flash last year. You know, I was thinking about this today because one of the things we'll talk about in the next podcast is I can't believe how similar the situations between your favorite team and mine are. And the way people view your coach because of the way he's paid and the way people view mine because of the way he's paid. It's so similar styles. It's beyond the fan base reactions. It's unreal what the parallels going on. And we'll talk about that in the Big Ten podcast. But in the context of that, a little preview got me thinking about this today. What were the what were the Iowa when when Brandon Sheriff was dominating on the offensive line? What seasons was that for Iowa, John? Um, 13. What was their record? Uh, they won, well, 13 was a bounce back off 12. So they won eight games that year. Okay. Yeah. That's an okay year for Iowa. Yeah, it's a good year, not a great year. But the, do you think he was a leader of men? Think people loved him, rallied around oh, him? Oh, there's, there's no question about that. But you know what he, but what position did he play? Left tackle. Yeah, it, it's not the same thing. It's just not, you know. And then a couple years later, you cannot have anybody on your offensive line close to as good as he is, and have people rally behind a quarterback like C.J. Beathard and go twelve and zero. Right. It that that's the importance and the premium on that position on that position. So you have a lot of things sort of conspiring against Iowa, injuries that um, are decimating programs that even re- that recruit at a level far beyond Iowa. They can't make these replacements either. So that, you know, we pointed out the USC example, throw in and we're breaking in a first year quarterback that, yeah, even though his touchdown to interception ratio is great, his overall efficiency numbers are all right. And keep in mind, we came out of training camp and the whole story was even the big BTN crew was like, yeah, we don't really see a lot of separation there. And these guys weren't that great in the spring. So um, I, I just think that 
it's a cycle up here for Iowa. And and I just like I think we'll talk about next podcast, it's a cycle up here for my favorite team as well. And for Iowa, what that means is get to get to a bowl game, get those fifteen extra practices for an extra spring practice for those young guys. And you know, I, I don't know why I have to have to lecture Iowa fans about what the pattern is around here and that it hasn't shown that it has a track record of being successful because I think your head coach is going to probably end up in the College Football Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. So far be it for me to sit here and lecture you all about how it works around here. But, you know, this isn't this isn't our first rodeo, John. We've done these shows before. We have, and, and that's why I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to redline it because before the season began, I felt that, you know, you, to use your term, I felt this was going to be a cycle-up season. I felt that this season was going to be delaying the foundation for uh, what I think is going to be a pretty good run the next two, certainly in 2018 with the schedule they have. And you look at, you know, the, the, the lessons that Alaric Jackson is learning at left tackle and that Tristan Wirfs is learning at right tackle. Um, I had some concern before the season that James Daniels, uh, the center, might have a professional decision to make at the end of the year. I no longer feel that way. So I believe he'll be back. So you've got your center, your left tackle, and your right tackle back. And I think one of the guards plus some decent depth there. Offensive line play next year looks to me, you know, as long as everybody stays healthy, looks to be a strength. Nathan Stanley will have one year under his belt, which is an enormous thing. Uh, the the number of I'm actually somewhat intrigued by the I think there's some playmakers at wide receiver on this roster right now. They're just all very young, with the exception of Matt Van, Vandenberg, who you know maybe seems a, a step slower than he used to, but he's the only guy of really any experience that that won't be back. You've got two fantastic tight ends who are gaining experience this year. Uh, hopefully, the rest of the way, you're going to get um, Torn Young and Ivory Kelly Martin, some more experience carrying the ball. On the defensive side, I think they'll return eight, eight of their nine rotational players on the defensive line. They'll return the entire secondary uh, that basically is starting when they want it to start, and that doesn't include Miles Taylor. So... And, and your, your punter's going to be back. Your place kicker's going to be back. The only position you're going to be green is linebacker, and that's not an insignificant position. But as you and I have often joked about, I'd rather have experience at defensive line and, and, and inexperience at linebacker as opposed to the opposite. So all of these things are things that we've talked about in April, May, June, July, August. They're coming home to roost. It's probably not easy to call plays when you've got two freshman left tackle, two two freshman tackles out there. So, yeah, I'm not going to get ticked off and, and worked up about something that we that we saw that we saw challenges coming with fifth year fifth year seniors uh, tackle, much less freshmen. Yeah, to me, the years you get upset is when you know you should be better next and year. Next year, maybe next year, 2010, for example. Right. Those those are the seasons I think that you get upset about. And I think also you have to look at the body of work and that this has been a consistent pattern of when it has ultimately cycled up to a great success, a top 10 finish, a Big Ten championship, a 12-0 record, a BCS Bowl, a Rose Bowl, a New Year's Six Bowl like, like it is now. The time to get concerned about whether that time has ended is when is if, is if and when – 
the cycle up doesn't arrive at right. its customary destination. Right. But but until that happens, and and I hate it by the way when fan when coach when announcers say, well, what do you expect? Because a lot of times it's condescending, right? Like you can always tell. Like this is a March. Tra- this is a February tradition, unlike any other in Big Ten basketball. And you know what I'm going to say. Tom Izzo will stick up publicly for some coach in the Big Ten that we all know should get crap canned the very next day. Right. right? We know that's coming. Okay. And he'll be and 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 it'll be some condescending thing like, what do you expect? Well, what do I expect when you're there's 330 teams and 68 of them go to the NCAA tournament is we're and we're one of the 65 power schools. I expect to be one of those schools every three or four years. That's all. I don't think that's asking too much. I don't think any team in the Big Ten. And Northwestern now included with what Chris Collins has going on. Every team in the Big Ten should expect to be in the NCAA tournament at least once every three or four years. I think that's pretty reasonable, don't you, given the recruiting yep. base, the yep. exposure, the fan support? So as much as I like Tom Izzo, I'm about tired of the of the every, every February sticking up for whatever coach in the Big Ten is, is wasting his fans' money and deserves to be crap canned. This is not like that because this is what the Iowa program has been and he's the winningest coach Iowa's ever had. He's the longest tenured coach in college football. So he'll be the winningest next year. Or next year, I'm sorry. Um, I, I don't. I, I, so I don't. I don't see why this is. A, why is this suddenly a shock to everybody? This is. This is what has made him a staple in the Iowa program. And and it, it's one thing if you're the if you're that school. That that Tom Izzo says, well, you shouldn't expect any better than never making the NCAA tournament in your coach's tenure. It's another thing. Now, I think every Big Ten school should expect to make the NCAA tournament at least once every three or four years. It's another thing, though, if you're if you're a Minnesota fan and you're like, we never make it to the Final Four. That's different, right? So it's a matter of perspective. There is a certain there is a certain expect reasonable expectation level, and. Um, I don't see that he's violated that. And you know me, I'm not a shrinking violent about giving opinions, and as much as I've always loved the guy, I've disagreed with him plenty over the years. But I don't I don't see why this is any different than the pattern that led to the two that that led to the two thousand fifteen season. That led to, you know, the two thousand and two season. That led to the 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 two thousand and nine season. We've seen all this before, John. This is not any different. When it will become different is if it doesn't lead to one of those, and then that will be time to say maybe it's gold watch time. But until you arrive, then I don't see why this is any different than what we've seen before that everybody's cheered for twenty years. The black and gold unites us all. But then what? Kevin, the flag guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere. Guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Yeah, and we squeezed 18 minutes out of this when you pretty much hit the nail on the head succinctly in about 
10 seconds worth of breath earlier. You just define my career. <laughs> I can say it all in one tweet, but I'll keep saying it for three hours anyway. Because you got a segment to fill, baby. <laughs> That's right, baby. It, if, if you don't have it up front at Iowa on the offensive line, you simply don't have it. And it injuries are an excuse. One of the things that pisses me off to no end in, in talking with people is, well, no excuses. That's an excuse. Can't think. You know what? There's excuses every day in everybody's life. If you're late for work and you left your house plenty early to get there, and there was a traffic jam and a wreck that caused you to be 10 minutes late and your boss is pissed off, what are mm-hmm. you going to tell him? Oh, sorry, boss, no excuses. I'll do better next time. He, when he asks you why you're late, you tell him why you're late. It's the truth. It's the reason you were late. So you use the right word there. I, I think there's a distinction between excuses and reasons in the sporting world. To me, excuses are why you didn't do something we all know you can do and you have proven you can do. Reasons are why you didn't do what we had hoped you could do. I think those are different. It is a reason why Iowa can't move, can't, why Iowa can't run the football right now is because last year they were the Joe Moore Award Offensive Line of the Year for blocking for 2,000-yard backs with a quarterback who was half the man he used to be. Okay, so not much of a passing threat with no receivers on top of that. So everybody knew what was coming every week and they still had 2000 yard rushers. But as you pointed out, you had two new tackles. You had your best, arguably your best offensive lineman in the program. You had to play out of position the last few weeks. We did that podcast, I think, last week. Okay, so um, that's not an excuse. You're asking Sean Welsh to do something you were anyway. He cannot do. He cannot be an all-American tackle. He can be an all-American guard. Yeah, it's here, not here, an excuse. Here, here's how not—he it's it's, can't do that. You're asking him to do what he can't do. Right. Here's how not great he is at right tackle. You're starting a true freshman at tackle for the first time in the 19 years of the Ferentz era. He's a great guard, but he's not a great tackle. No, he's a loss leader, and you're and and by putting him there, they finally figured out they were hurting two positions at the same time and not just one. Okay, so. It, reasons are why you can't do what we had hoped you would do. Excuses are why you didn't do what we all know that you could do. Right. This was a team without clearly its best defensive player, its best, ins- its most inspirational. Maybe leader. the best middle linebacker in the country, according to all the midseason All American. Might teams. be. Could very well be. Certainly on the, every All American team, deservedly, no doubt. All right. Then you throw in you were still breaking in a new quarterback who underwhelmed most of the off season. And frankly, was playing from a from a interception to touchdown ratio far beyond what anybody any of us thought coming out of camp he was capable of. Higher rated much, than Sam Darnold, by the way. In September, he threw for about what we thought he'd throw all season in touchdowns. Is what he threw in September, basically. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, it's these aren't excuses, and I'm the I'm 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 all for no excuses, and I'm always the guy that says, hey. Um, they didn't give you the graduation rate discount on your tickets this year. They didn't give you the we're re- it's a rebuilding year discount when you went to Shields for your seventy nine ninety nine t shirt. I get all of that, but but sometimes you, there, there's this thing we have called logic, and and some guys just aren't great yet. Some guys just aren't good yet. Some guys aren't ready to be good or ready to be great yet. And when they're thrown into a position when they have to play before they are ready to do that, 
you're going to suffer. And that's the position Iowa's in. It's not like they didn't recruit offensive linemen and develop them and and have a plan for this season. They did. Those guys got hurt. And now you're playing guys that you would typically be developing and redshirting at the moment. And that's going to lead to results like what you had on Saturday. And still, despite all of that, we might be having an entirely different conversation if Fant doesn't have arguably the ugliest drop to lose a football game I've seen in college football this season. Or if they call the intentional grounding. Um, or if Penn, you know, uh, Penn State doesn't complete that last pass. No question about it. I, I will say this, however, and, and this will be a piece of meat I will throw to people that have been listening to the last 22 minutes of this, rolling their eyes at us, is, okay, you are what you are. The cavalry's not coming. You're not getting those bookend tackles back. So what are you going to do? Here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't line up in power formations yep. and try to run inside the tackles. You should spread it out, four wide, three by one, whatever you want to call it, and give Akram Wadley a chance with a box that is emptied because you have put more playmakers on the field. Continuing to run into this wall is yep. al- is almost Preach. the equivalent of, of asking Sam Brownlee to get yep. yards for you in 2004. They this can the do things yes. differently. Yep. They're choosing not to. That's they, right. They have to change that. See, this is for those of you that want John especially. Um, I think most people tune in to hear what I say out of intellectual curiosity. Because I present the perfect <laughs> foil. And I mean that. I present the perfect foil. If you're an Iowa fan and you agree with me, you walk away saying... Well, I must be right. Dace isn't even an Iowa fan, and he agrees with me. Exactly. If you don't agree with me, I give you the excuse to say, what the hell does Dace know? He's not even an Iowa fan. I'm perfect for this podcast. You get your way no matter what take I give. You get to say it either you get to justifiably affirm yourself or totally reject what I think. That's the beauty of having. So for those of you wondering, why does why does he even have Dace on? I just told you. You get to be I, I literally am heads heads you win, tails you lose. You can do whatever you want with me. You can pick you can decide if you I can tell you if you're right and if you if, if I disagree, you just totally dismiss me as perfect. But if you want John, and, and I'm and I'm telling you we're gonna do this podcast again tomorrow, just the team's gonna be different, but John's gonna ask me about the names will be different, but it'll be the exact same damn podcast. Okay. If you want John to be more critical, here's how that works. Every you have to draw distinctions between things that are going wrong now and fire everybody losers we suck most people i've just simply can't do this i see this in my day job most people believe that if the politician of their choice that they preferred win the last election if he's wrong at all it somehow invalidates their entire vote and therefore, it, it, it means they are an absolute jack wagon. So I must go jump on social media, look like a total hypocritical ass clown and defend the indefensible for reasons no one, not even a law knows. Same thing happens in sports. See, what you're talking about are legit criticisms. There's criticism out there. They, I still don't think they should have lost to Northwestern. I just thought that they would because I thought we'd see a game like this. I still don't think I still think they're a better team. So why did they lose? Well, some of the things were beyond their control. 
But the job of coaches are to mitigate the circumstances beyond their control into ones that can be in their control. A good general, whether it's on a football field or on a real battlefield, what he will try to do is frame the battlefield to give his troops the best chance at winning. I agree. Schematically, Iowa did not do that. But is that when you when you tune into sound sound off, when you when I follow John on Twitter after an Iowa loss, the, the ratio of people who make these sort of intelligent, measured, distinguishable criticisms compared to we suck, he's overpaid, we're terrible. Okay, it's nine. I don't know what you see, John. What I see, it's like 10 to one, 10 to one idiots, 10 to one morons, 10 to one douchebags. That's not an intelligent analysis. And, and you, you, you just you, no one should take you seriously when a guy who's going to leave here as the winningest coach of all time who has survived messes in the athletic department, survived a, a basketball program that was a mess most of the years he was here and provided no recruiting boom whatsoever. And you were some, some years you were embarrassed to have recruits come for, for junior day to sit on the sidelines of, of, of the damn basketball arena because it was a Nick at Night commercial. All of this he survived. Whether the Big Ten was leaders and legends, 10 teams, 11, te- or 11 teams, 12 teams, 14 teams, what they were – NFL, everything else, to have all the success that he's had here, even his own mistakes that he's made, the stuff that people have done to him, like with, with uh, Dennis Dodd, the crap he pulled a few, pulled a few years Mass ago. Mass transfers. Yes, all that other – all that stuff. And, and you, you still are if, – if you still, when you see them do something wrong on game day – cannot criticize that by in and of itself and immediately jump to he sucks that's really a you problem and i don't think frankly john should take you seriously because you're not serious i still like to retweet him though you know how that goes i do make him famous yes make him famous indeed (laughs) well i think i think we've squeezed enough out of that grapefruit right there uh, 28 minutes. I, I didn't know that we'd get to 18, but we did. Did and you like this podcast? Because we're going to do a very similar version of it for tomorrow. I really enjoyed it. Team. I actually Good. really did enjoy it. No, no doubt about it. So I'm looking forward to re-racking it and seeing what you have planned uh, for some other teams. I've got a few little pointers up my sleeve for the Big Ten, which, my gosh, that smell that you're smelling coming from behind your wall, yes, there is something dead behind it. And it's called Big Ten Offensive football it is offensive that will wrap up this installment of the hn podcast thanks to heartland flagpoles and flags and exile brewing company for their support and thanks to each and every one of you for listening those not so great fans or types that steve was referring to earlier he was not referring to any one of you listening to this podcast because you guys clearly you're not those people so we thank you for listening